Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories, and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being with us here today. I appreciate you. I appreciate the time that you take to invest in listening to the show, but also to invest in yourself. Today is your day. Um, I love the book. Um, and yes, it's a Dr. Seuss book. Oh, the places you will go. Um, it starts off with today is your day. I just, and I'm not going to read the whole book to you here uh, during this show, but I encourage you, even just look it up online and Google and look at some of the great phrases about today being your day and the places that you're going to go with brains in your head and shoes full of feet. <laughs> I um, It's just so encouraging to think of what you can do with today because there is power in purpose. When we're intentional, yes, that's very powerful, but I'm talking about something deeper than that. I'm talking about that deep core purpose of who we are and what we're meant to do. I'm talking about making that difference in the world that literally only you can make. There's nobody ever has been or ever will be that will be exactly you. Identical twins aren't even identical. They have differences. And it's often in these differences that the most amazing things come out. <laughs> I remember um, I was in high school when my, uh, when my twin nephews, uh, they were living with us for a couple of weeks while their uh, parents my aunt and uncle were actually learning, and I don't remember what language it was, it was probably Swahili or something like that because they were getting ready to be missionaries to um, what was then, I think it's still called Zimbabwe. Yeah, it used to be called Rhodesia, now it's called Zimbabwe. Um, and they were in Zimbabwe and um, they also actually did some time um, in the northern part of South Africa right during apartheid. Um, really scary and yet interesting time. But my two twin cousins, they were with us for that couple of weeks while their mom and dad were at the training. And it was so interesting to see the differences between the two of them. They were so the same, um, you know, and yet they were so uniquely different Matthew was a very um, industrious, um, you know, he liked to play with Legos and blocks and, and things like that. And, and Andre was, was much more in, uh, you know, 
intellectual. He wanted to read and think, and, and he wasn't really old enough to read, but you know, like look at books and those kind of things. And it's just fun to see the differences, even in the twins. Um, and any of you that have ever spent any time with twins, you know what I'm talking about. Because your purpose is in you. It drives you. It compels you. Do you ever find yourself feeling dissatisfied? Like you just really aren't happy with your life? All too often when we get to that place, we look around for a reason, an excuse, um, the why. What is the why behind why I feel this way right now? And we blame it on things, sometimes even on people. Um, this dissatisfaction that we have at the core of ourselves. But there is nobody that you can bring into your life that is going to fill that void. There is no activity that you can do that's going to replace that void other than fulfilling and living in your purpose. Because there's power in purpose in living at the core of who you are and what you're meant to be. Many of us, myself included, run, sometimes run away screaming from our purpose because it's scary. It's so big or it's so vulnerable that it's hard to let go and be open to exposing ourselves at that level. Be open to serving someone else that fully and that deeply. Because, you know, when we reach out, there's the possibility that the person we reach out to will reject us. There is the very distinct possibility that when you live at the heart, soul, and core of your purpose, that what you will find is pain, even hurt and rejection. A good friend of mine, he's even been on the show, Greg Yates, always says, and he's constantly reminding me, it's only through that breakdown that you can get to your breakthrough. You see, if there's nothing blocking you, if there's no obstacles, no pain, no breakdown, then there is no breakthrough. You haven't broken through to anything. To step gently and easily from here to there, that's not a breakthrough. That's just a step. And this is not me wishing, uh, you know, pain on you. I want for your journey to be as easy as it possibly can. But sometimes we shy away from our purpose because the pain, the fear, the rejection that we've already dealt with is just too much. And we just don't feel like we have it in us to do that again, to go down that road one more time, to take that risk. Sometimes it isn't actual pain. It's all of the things that we've created.
created in our mind that are going to be an issue. Things that are going to keep us from doing the thing that we know we're supposed to do. Being driven to live at the ultimate, at the penultimate, highest peak of the best version of ourselves. So my question is, what's holding you back from that power that comes when you're at the core of your purpose? What is the excuse? Come on, it's a sexy excuse. You've come up with it really well. And it sounds so good and it works and you've convinced yourself. What's the reason? What's keeping you from unleashing the power into your life? and out into the world that is your purpose? And is the terror that you've created real? Is the rejection that you think is gonna come actually there? Are the pains that you've been through too much? You see, a lot of times we excuse ourselves because it's hard, but nothing good comes without work, without hard, sometimes even with struggle. It's worth it. I remember, I don't even remember who said it, but I remember somebody, and maybe you have been in a movie, they used the phrase, it's the hard that makes it good. If it was easy, everybody would do it. And then it wouldn't be unique and it wouldn't be special and it wouldn't be yours. You see, there's a power in your purpose. There is a reason behind who you are and why you're here. And that purpose needs to be fulfilled. It needs to come to light and be shared with the world because it was never about you. All of us, myself included, have legitimate in our own mind reasons why we can't possibly, we can't do it again, we can't start. There's too much pain, there's too many things. But that's because we're focused on ourselves. Remember, fear and service can't exist in the same place. And so when we realize that our purpose is here for the person that it's meant to help, to serve, to help them be able to be the best version of themselves. When we fulfill that, when we live that out, then we begin to see ourselves living in the power of our purpose because there is power in purpose. If you've never experienced that, I want you, I want you to be able to dive deep into your purpose, to be the best version of yourself, and to learn how to live in a true state of thriving. Because when we dive deep into the power of our purpose, then, and only then can we live 
as a thriving entrepreneur. I want that for you. We're going to take our quick first commercial break, and then we're going to be back with some great guests to help you dive in deep to your purpose. We'll be right back. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to we help youthrive.com check us out and find out how you can be a best-selling author today welcome back to thriving entrepreneur this is steve welcome back thanks for listening to thriving entrepreneur today today we're going to jump with both feet into our purpose to find the power that is within that purpose I know that you'll be glad that you did. Get ready to take some notes as we jump in with one of our international best-selling authors talking to us about purpose. The relentless striving for perfection that drives all of us as human beings. Oh, that's a tough one. It's one that most all of us struggle with. But did you know that you don't have to be perfect? Well, to help us with that today, I'm joined by international best-selling author, Jacqueline Thorne. She's going to talk to us about her new book, Purpose, Not Perfect. Hi, Jacqueline. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful, Steve. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about who you are. Um, who I am. I am a, a project manager. I'm, I manage multi-million dollar grants for the federal government. Um, I'm an avid writer, I'm a sister, I'm an auntie, I'm a best friend, I'm a mentor, and I'm a lover of writing, and I want, would, wanted to publish for a very long time, so I'm so elated to have this dream come true. We're so excited to have gotten to be part of it, too, and uh, I've seen some really exciting things with your book. You have 10 five-star ratings already and the book just came out this week. I saw that. <laughs> That's exciting. Big Amazing. banner. Yeah. <laughs> Big banner here that says number one new releases and hot new release. The book is doing really well. I'm excited for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So explain to us a little bit about what you mean behind the phrase purpose, not perfect. Well, it evolved as I was um, preparing for the book or editing the book. Um, it became apparent to me it had an, addict an addiction to perfection. Always striving to do the best, um, always you know, wanting um, it to be the way that I saw it in my mind. Um, 
writing the roles for everybody, if you will. I've been a leader for a long time, but that could also, you know, be to your detriment, um, trying to get it picture perfect. And so I started looking at my life um, over the past few you know, levels and years and you go through different phases and I saw a pattern and the pattern was, you know, me achieving for it to be the way that I wanted. But I knew that there was a purpose for the way in which I was led to do something or I was chosen to do something or I completed something. The purpose was bigger. So that's where I, um, again, I came to the realization that my addiction was trying to be a perfectionist and that the purpose was greater than trying to make it look perfect or be perfect. Um, action was more important than um, all the bells and whistles. So that's how I, I, I came into the title that I, I thought that it's not perfect would, would fit appropriately. That makes a lot of sense. I know you say even in the description of the book that one of your purposes was just to really encourage um, you know, the virtual equivalent of your younger self. Um, yes. I love the question. If you could go back in time and give just one piece of advice to the younger you, what would you say? So uh, give yes. us just a little insight into the book. What would you tell the younger version of yourself? Um, actually, you know, as you stated, this is <laughs> sort of a dedication to my younger self. Uh, uh, the things um, or some lessons that I wish I would have heard when I was younger, um, I think um, would have made a, a great impact or my path um, may have been expedited to, to continue to do the great things that I've been uh, afforded to do. Um, however, um, you know, when you're young, you think you, first of all, you think you know everything and nobody else has done, you know, or been through what you've gone through. And, you know, I'm an only child also. So I didn't have siblings, to sort of navigate through life. And, you know, I was solo a lot, although I have a, a vast um, outer um, fam extended family. So this is really um, a testament to what you can do, that I've always had this in me, that it took time, it took life, it took experience. Um, and it took, honestly, me getting out of my comfort zone and to share the gifts that I was blessed with. Ooh, that can be a tough one, though, because we can become, or at least think we have become, real experts at that relentless striving for perfection. How do you break yeah. that? Well, I've always been a woman of faith. Um, you know, I went to Bible studies since I was younger. You see these lessons, and um, I've always been a strong-minded person as well. Um, but I had some some challenges uh, where it came to my emotions. Um, my, one of my parents, my father, uh, was a drug addict, and you know he was not in my life for a good part of my um, upcoming. So I was missing some additional pieces, some additional um, confirmations, if you will, um, or re reaffirmations about who I was, what I could be, and my trust was broken, and I had a, uh, I had a lack of security. I didn't feel um, that I was protected, if you will. Um, <laughs> excuse me. So, in that realm, it, it took it took, you know, failing to be honest, failing and looking and striving for that relationship to be re 
place before, you know, what's the adage? If you um, want to get something, um, a, a new outcome, you can't do the same things that you've done before. You know, I was tired of the scrapes and the bumps and, and there had to be a better way. So I took, I took a risk on, on doing things without knowing what the outcome would be and, and I'm, I'm greater for it. That can be a scary risk, though, to step out um, into potentially getting hurt when you've been hurt mm -hmm. before. Yes, and hurt and 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 hurt over and over again. Um, you know, different parties, same outcome. Different different person, same outcome. Um, yeah, it, 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 I several rounds of that and resilience. I don't know babies and fools that's what they said god looks after babies and fools i don't know what it was why i kept on bumping into the same wall with with a different face but um eventually that was enough of that you know it was it was time to to try something different um lean into my faith and not be so fearful it is is really a, a, about fear as well trying to strive to be um, perfect is, is about the fear of being judged by by somebody or or not doing it good enough and lean to faith and it's it sounds cliche but it really is about overcoming fear so what is your favorite part of the book or at least today what's your favorite part of the book my favorite part of the book is is the reception that I'm receiving from people and by far it has to be the apology letter I have had so many people reach out to me and say that they felt like they were getting the apology that they needed they felt like they should take ownership and who did they owe an apology to and I think that um most people and how I came up with the apology letter, most people are looking for justification or apology from something. Um, in my personal case, the people that I was seeking apologies from are deceased. They're no longer here. So I had to learn how to um, make amends and to get through something uh, without the benefit of the person being alive. So that's how it came you know, from, from myself, but it seems to be really impactful for people who, who's, who have read that apology letter. And I try to do it in such a way that it covered a gamut of different subjects, but um, I'm glad that, um, that, I, that I included that in there. It's, it's by far been the most um, rewarding so far. But the whole book is fabulous, so I, I, it's hard to, <laughs> to choose a part. Oh, yeah, but that's the most gratifying. Absolutely. It's a great book. Can you give us just a little taste of what's included in the apology letter? Sure. Um, the apology letter, <clears throat> um, I don't have it verbatim, but the apology letter is speaking about the fact that hurt people hurt people. And um, I cover that because someone doesn't know love or they experience hurt and that's their example, then the cycle repeats itself. So they treat you a different way because the, the way that they was treated and they don't know how to maybe necessarily love you the way that you deserve to be loved um, or that they don't want you to hold on to that thing because it turns into something else. 
when you know when you in your head hold on to the things that you're hurt by and you can't release that sometimes that turns into a physical pain or a physical ailment and um you know it's important to me emotional um wellness that you know you don't hold on to those things so in the an apology letter it's apologizing but it's also a release i'm apologizing to you but i want you to also forgive me so that you can be released and that you can um you can have that peace because you don't have peace when you're holding on or begrudgingly to someone else so that's a, in essence some of the the points that i tried to touch about um apologizing and receiving that apology and releasing the, that, that feeling that you have towards that person. Very powerful stuff. It's worth buying the book just for that, you know, apology letter in there. And it's only a couple pages out of the book, but would be worth it just for that. So let's give the people something they could take action on today. What's one little thing that someone who is stuck in the relentless drive for perfection could do to embrace their purpose and give up the perfection? <clears throat> I would say one thing that you could do is to stop comparing um, or stop seeking validation um, for, from something, even that's yourself if you are striving to do something um and you're um and if you built this picture in your head about how it's going to turn out perfection is neat it's tidy it's you know um white glove but purpose can be messy and so again you're gonna have to let go of that you know the the uh the familiarity of of being comfortable with the way that you see it and be willing to let loose a little bit. I hate a few hairs fly there and here and there um, because it's worth it for the purpose of moving forward or taking action. And if somebody wanted to go deeper with you and work a little bit more directly, how could a person contact you? Um, I am Lady J Thorne, that's L-A-D-Y-J-T-H-O-R-N-E on all um, social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can also reach me directly um, via my um, Gmail, which is ladyjthorne at gmail.com. I do have a, um, a website, but it's not fully up and running yet, but you can definitely always reach me. You can Google me, Jacqueline Thorne, and I have my email and social media. I would love to engage and see how I can um, help you or guide you towards getting to your dream. The book is called Purpose Not Perfect, written by international best-selling author, Jacqueline Thorne. Jacqueline, thanks so much for spending some time with us on the show today. My pleasure, Steve. I just had to start off this episode with Jacqueline. The book is so powerful, and all too often what we end up doing is we excuse ourselves. We hide behind the very sexy excuse of failure. We never really get to our purpose because we're so busy trying to pursue perfection. And let's be honest, there was only one perfect person that ever lived. They crucified him. So, um, you know, let's, let's not even try to worry about 
perfection. But let's do dive deep into our purpose. Give your all to being the best version of you that you can be. Don't worry if it's perfect. Just do your best. That's all any of us can do. And when we do, you'll be amazed to see the people's lives who are impacted on a permanent basis because you just simply lived in your purpose and let that crazy pursuit of perfection go. Take a deep breath. Let perfection slide away and then dive in deep to your purpose. You'll be glad you did. And on the backside of living out that purpose, you will see yourself living as a thriving entrepreneur. We'll be right back. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because... It serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. Next up, we are going to talk to an author who is not only embracing her purpose, even though she has an amazing company, she stepped away from that to pursue the political career that she feels driven to do. But secondarily, she has some really great insight into that pressure we put on ourselves that we have to start a job and do the same thing for the next 30 years until we get that gold watch and that we need everybody around us to live in that world too. That isn't really true. That isn't how any of us really are. And it, especially these days, isn't how most people think or want to work. So let's jump in really deep and see how this author is helping people really discover how to live the best of them in their purpose. Join me in welcoming Bryn Kennedy. Hi, Bryn. How are you today? I am great. Very happy to be on the show. Thank you so much. So, Bryn, I want to jump really deep into talent mobility, but first, tell us just a little bit about who you are. Sure. Uh, well, I uh, spent the early part of my career doing real estate and infrastructure investments all around the world. And through that, I saw that the demographics of the workforce and the way we work were really changing quite significantly. So about nine years ago, I put all of that learning into a company 
called Topia. At the time, it was called Move Guides, but called Topia. I founded Topia when I was in business school, kind of pretty much at my kitchen table. And over the last nine years, grew it to be a global business, created hundreds of jobs, all with good pay, good benefits for our employees, and uh, a culture of supporting workers transition to new jobs and solving problems for customers. Awesome. That is great. So um, I, wanna, I want you to explain to me, first of all, what even is talent mobility? Sure. Um, so, you know, I um, spent the last nine years studying the, and, and building a business around the changing nature of work. And what I saw was that the combination of globalization, automation, and demographic change were really fundamentally altering the way that we work. You know, in many ways, historic change is underway in the workforce. Millennials and Gen Z are 60% of the workforce, and they switch jobs much more frequently, and their careers are more fluid than in prior generations. Uh, in today's economy, is increasingly dependent on what on mobility. So work across different locations, different projects, career progression, not necessarily linearly, but also between different roles. Uh, and traditional HR models are often far too siloed to respond to the needs of an increasingly disrupted and remote workforce. So this concept of talent mobility arose, uh, which means supporting companies and workers through any type of movement between a location or a job. So we have uh, what we call geographic mobility, which is movement between different physical locations. Uh, we have what we call location mobility, which is movement between the physical place that you work, e.g. the house or the office. Uh, and we have what we call employment mobility, which is movement between different types of work, e.g. you may be a full-time employee for a point of time, and then you may spend some time freelancing with a different company. The, the concept of talent mobility is supporting all of these different configurations of work so that it is administratively streamlined, great for employees, and uh, companies can uh, reap the benefits of that in uh, their performance as well. So as an employer, uh, what does a company need to understand about the concept of the coming or already happening talent mobility revolution so that they make the best use of it? I think that um, what they need to understand much more, uh, much better is that the disruptions in the workforce will be much more frequent than ever before. Um, jobs change frequently and new jobs are created in different types of the workforce and that they need to be able to support and move workers into new jobs as they're created. Uh, at the same time, there is a generation of workers in the workforce that uh, in, in many white collar professions trade uh, stability and a nine to five 30 year career for flexibility and different tours of duty across jobs or locations with flexibility embedded in that. Today, all of these different things are happening, but they're very, very fragmented within companies. And so what you need to understand as an employer looking into the future is that your entire organization will be, as I say in the book I just wrote, uh, flat, fluid, and fast. It needs to be responsive to these changes. It needs to have systems that allow this type of work 
and it needs to have benefits that support workers through continued disruption and transition into different jobs. Mm. So there's a really big question that uh, your PR agent said that really intrigued me and it was, what will the shift in this type of employment mean to like labor unions and membership type of organizations of employees? Well, I think that the, you know, one thing that's really interesting is we have more people who work in different ways um, as traditional employees, as well as on-demand freelancers and gig workers. And today's economy demands the agility, uh, it demands agility across all these different types of work, but it also demands thinking about them as one workforce. In my book, I talk about the management practices and the government policies that need to be modernized in a way that reflects these new workplace realities. This should include, from my perspective, extending more traditional employment protections, benefits, and bargaining rights to any type of freelance workers who may perform a more dynamic job function than a traditional job role, um, but needs to very much be thought of with the same rights and the same protections that a traditional employee has uh, historically. So in my book, I really urge companies to think about their workforce as one workforce, uh, allowing and empowering and supporting the bargaining rights and the benefits for all of those employees, regardless of the classification of the employee. Your book, Flat, Fluid, and Fast, Harness the Talent Mobility Revolution to Drive Employee Engagement, Accelerate Innovation, and Unleash Growth, just came out here recently. Um, what are people yeah. saying about it so far? It's been really well received. Um, I'm super excited about it. It's kind of the culmination of the last 15 years or so of my personal work experiences and then building a company in talent mobility and then spending a lot of time with HR leaders and the leaders of organizations all over the world as they look at how they transform for the future of work. Uh, and it's been really well received. I think this concept we just talked about of the different types of workers and how we can think about them as one workforce and supporting all of them and really um, uh, creating a positive scenario for both companies and workers, which is the basis of the our future economic growth is, is something that a lot of people have commented on being really excited by and really empowered by. So now there's a lot of us that are older, I'm not going to call myself old, but older that are not millennials <laughs> <laughs> that, um, you know, that at the very least don't understand millennial generation. And I'm sure you've heard lots of complaints about millennials. Um, you know, so how does a person really make good use of a millennial workforce and unleash growth in their company as opposed to have, you know, fragmentation of people coming and going constantly? Well, I think it's, it starts with understanding what's going on. So many people in the millennial workforce, uh, which by the way is up to age 39, so it's um, not that young, <laughs> um, sort of started their career and graduated from college it, among the greatest recession that we've had in decades in the country. 
you know, in many ways, this generation of workers knows that businesses will be disrupted, jobs will change, there's continued technology innovation, and that the notion of sort of one job for life at one company is not something that they see as realistic, but it's also not something that they see as how they want to work. They typically demand much more flexibility in terms of where they work from, like to work from home sometimes, like to work from the office, value work-life balance around that. They also typically expect and value working across uh, what we call different tours of duty. So that's different time in different parts of the organization, often working across different organizations as well through a career. So I think that companies really just need to understand that, that that's not a bad thing, but that their millennial workers are motivated by different things. Now, what companies can do, which uh, my book talks about a lot and provides some insight into, is ensure that there is a uh, process for employees going into different roles, uh, doing different projects, and acquiring new skills as they go through their career. Uh, so, because people are really, really interested in doing that through their career. So the title of the book is has me intrigued because I think I get the concept of fluid and fast, but explain to <laughs> me the three terms, flat, fluid, and fast. What do you mean by that? So the reason that we titled the book uh, Flat, Fluid, and Fast, which is a bit of a mouthful sometimes. So in the book, we talk about it as an F3 company, just to make it a little easier for all of us. Um, but flat is meant to represent this notion of mobility. So um, not a sort of career ladder, linear career progression, but this notion that uh, there's an organization, there's different jobs that you can work uh, across through a career. And some of the moves that you make may not be upward, but maybe laterally, and you're acquiring different skills as you move laterally between different roles. Kind of a similar idea for location. You know, you could be uh, staying as a project manager, as an example, but maybe moving to do that in a different location. So you pick up some different skills with respect to cultural ad adaptation and exchange and communication as you get there. Um, so that's where uh, flat came from. Fluid, similar idea that a career will not be stagnant, but it will be fluid across different parts of the organization in different locations. Uh, and FAST is meant to denote that in an era of continuous di disruption through technology and through macro forces, companies and workers need to be agile and respond quickly to those disruptions. Okay. W once you explain the flat, then that made sense to me too. I just... <laughs> My mind wasn't going that direction. <laughs> um, so, totally unfair question. I'll acknowledge that up front. But what's your favorite part of the book? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I loved writing it, so I like all of it. Um, I do really like the last chapter, which kind of sums everything up. The way the book is written is it's 10 chapters, it's three sections, and then a conclusion. Uh, each of the chapters it represents a component of transforming your organization to be agile or flat, fluid, and fast. And uh, then the final chapter, chapter 10, kind of ties it all together. And it looks at, okay, if you are a traditional company, how do you actually engineer the change management that's required if you are starting a new company? Uh, how do you start it to be flat, fluid, and fast from the beginning? 
And the really great thing about that is with the principles of the book, you can start this type of company from anywhere. It really unlocks opportunities to start companies outside of major metro areas, in particular in rural parts of the country, um, like where I live right now in, uh, in rural California. And uh, then the final section looks at policies that we can look at as government leaders and as a country to ensure that all of our workers and our businesses are supported through the principles that we discuss in the book through a changing economy and a changing workforce. And for me, that's really where the societal impact of uh, applying these trends comes in, which is, uh, I guess, my favorite part of it, if I'm gonna answer your question directly. All right, so let's, um, let's shift a little bit um, because it, it, it was surprising to me, you know, I've had other people that have had political careers or things like that, but I've never actually had somebody on the show that was currently running for office. So, um, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, help me geographically. I, I read fourth district, fourth congressional district in California. What area is that? That's right. So I live in Roseville, California, which is, uh, outside of Sacramento. So our district goes from Roseville, where I live, to Lake Tahoe, and also includes Yosemite and the Sierra foothills. Mm, pretty area up there. All right. Wow. It is. <laughs> it is. It's one of the most special parts of the country. Uh, it, we have farms and forests and small towns and fast-growing suburbs. We've got uh, highways that connect California to the rest of the country. We've got Tahoe and Yosemite. We welcome about 14 million tourists a year to visit those locations. We've got about 40% of California's watershed. It's just this incredible area of small businesses and a vibrant tourism economy and a lot of innovation in the suburban areas. It's a really special place. I won't go deeply political because I don't want to scare away our business owners, <laughs> um, but uh, I am curious always. <laughs> I'm curious, um, you know, what is the, the, the passion that really just drove you to wanting to run for office? You know, I spent nine years as a founder and CEO, and through that journey, I, you know, went through what every other founder and CEO or manager goes through, how you create a job, how you manage people, how you make sure that you meet payroll every month. And uh, I also had the opportunity to do policy work in Washington and in Sacramento. And when I started spending some time uh, with government officials, in, specifically in Washington, I was just really taken aback by the lack of business acumen that I saw in Washington. Just, um, you know, I, I, I guess I start, the way I would say it is I started thinking, gosh, if I did my job, like so many people in Washington, mostly the career politicians do their job, I wouldn't have a job very much longer. It was like people kept saying, oh, I don't really like the other people on the other side of the table, so I'm gonna stop working. Or you know, people would show up and say, oh, this year I got nothing done because it was really, really, really hard. Um, and specifically the incumbent in this area has been in politics for 40 years, has never had a job in the private sector, and is just the embodiment of this partisanship and finger pointing and do nothingness versus 
action and problem solving and collaboration and welcoming diversity of thought to ultimately solve a problem and come to the best solution, which is such a basic thing in the private sector, but such a difficult thing in the government right now. And I think we should hold our government leaders to a greater standard than we hold our business leaders. And so I wanted to be a part of leading that change for our community and leading that change for our country. That's fun. I'm a little too far south to be able to uh, vote for you, but but I like it. That, that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Down just north of San Diego. So um, it, it would be a little fishy if I voted <laughs> well, for you. <laughs> You can come for vacation up here and uh, spend some money in our district, see our beautiful national treasures, Tahoe and Yosemite, come to some of our incredible vineyards and uh, restaurants and stores. We will welcome you with open arms. Mm, yeah. Well, I need to get a trip up there, up that way anyway. Have some good friends that live in Sacramento too that I haven't seen in a while. So you yep. never know. <laughs> All right, so back to flat, fluid, and fast. Um, my concern is there are some, and you know, I lived for a few years in Michigan. Uh, there are some companies that you know would be easy to name that are you know in Michigan and places like that that are very entrenched in the concept of you know right immediately after high school or college at the most you get a job and you expect that company is going to take care of you. Um, you know, one of the biggest examples is, is I remember all the years of people who had been laid off for a decade that still expected General Motors was gonna hire them back in the next contract. Um, do, do you see those kind of shifts happening in, in states like Michigan or are they way behind us as far as some of these kind of things? Um, I think the way to think about it is that there is somewhat of a difference between your traditional kind of creative economy, white collar job, and then more of your trade job, um, some would say blue collar job. Um, there absolutely is a very, very important part of the workforce that the book does not address. And I say that in the introduction and in the conclusion that the book is specifically talking about creative economy workers in um, some of our large knowledge businesses. Uh, there is a whole different part of the workforce, our nurses, our teachers, our building trades, and where there is a, a very different relationship with work. And frankly, on my political platform, uh, I support much, much greater investment in apprenticeships and training and supporting workers into a long-term career in some of those trades, which can provide a good path to the middle class. That is not what the topic of the book was about. I do address the fact that some of the principles in the book can be used to abuse some of the workforce if they're not thought through and applied with good intention. But the book is really about the knowledge economy and the creative economy and how that type of worker is shifting their preferences in their career today. So if an HR person or you know, CEO, whichever level, um, wants to wrap their head around this whole concept of the mobil talent mobility revolution, um, do, you, do you do coaching or something like that to help them out beyond the book? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I, a, a little bit. Yeah. So at Topia, we did a lot of work um, and the company is still doing that work where uh, we would sit down with HR leaders or business leaders and help them kind of map out what their future of work strategy would look like. Um, there's a lot of people at Topia that are continuing that work. Uh, I have stepped down as CEO and um, uh, fully focused on solving problems for my district and applying some of the principles from the work, from the book to expand economic growth here. Um, and that was kind of why I wrote the book, a culmination of my 15 years of experience in the private sector. Um, but there are a lot of people at Topia with deep knowledge who work with clients and customers on a lot of these principles. So if a person wanted to contact somebody at Topia, how would they get a hold of them? So uh, Topia's website is, it's T-O-P-I-A, topia.com, and uh, there's contact details there. And if somebody in your district uh, wants to help support you in any way, uh, how would they um, help be part of your campaign? So we, the best way is to take a look at our campaign website and sign up there. It is brynforcongress.com. That's B-R-Y-N-N-E-F-O-R-Congress.com. I encourage everyone to take a look at that. There's a lot of kind of natural transition from how we extend economic growth outside of our major metros and use the principles in the book to do that. Um, so that's one side. And the book is available on Amazon and other locations. And we also have a website, uh, flatfluidfast.com. The book is called Flat, Fluid, and Fast. Harness the talent mobility revolution to drive employees engagement, accelerate innovation, and unleash growth. It's written by Bryn Kennedy. Um, I really do encourage you to go to Amazon and get it today. Bryn, thanks so much for spending some time with us on the show today. Thank you so much. You have a good day. There is so much power in purpose. You can hear it resounding through both of the people that I interviewed today and throughout pretty much all of the show, Thriving Entrepreneur, you do have a purpose for why you're here. And it is so powerful when each of us shows up as exactly who we are, right where we are, and does that thing that only we can do. All too often, we find ourselves making excuses for why we can't or why somebody else will. But the truth of the matter is, is as I started off at the beginning of the show, I want to remind you, there is nobody that ever has been or ever will be that's like you. In fact, there's no one, not even you, that is or was or will be the you that you are now. You are specifically at a point in your journey where you have learned some things. You've come through some stuff. You still have so much more that you're going to experience highs and lows, ups and downs. But right here, where you are right now today, there is some stuff. And all of those things are the 
concentric circles outside of that bullseye center that is your purpose. That reason for why you're being. Your purpose can show up in many different ways. When you were 10, it showed up differently than it does today. When you're in your rocking chair retired, it'll show up a different way. But right now today, there is a power behind that purpose. And that power comes more than anything else by sharing all of who you are, what you know, what you've learned, your experiences and your expertise, sharing that with the world and helping make all of our world a better place because of the fact that you lived in your purpose. I want that so much for you all. I want all of you to be able to look back at this year, this month, even possibly today while you're listening and say, I remember taking hold of my purpose and going forward to be all that I can be because I can do it. You see, and I tell you this every week, but I want you to hear it. You are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose and the world needs you. There is a power in that purpose, a unique, overwhelmingly surprising, amazing power to the purpose of why you're here. Sometimes it can feel so unclear. It can seem so random and like there just is no point, but I promise you there is. Today I challenge you to take up, take up the charge of being the best version of you and sharing all that you are, your purpose with the world. There is somebody right now that needs what you have to share. Get that book out there. Share that message with the world. Be the best you that you've ever been and lean into being an even better you tomorrow. Find the power into your purpose. Live in it. Be all that you can be. And know that Kathy and I are here to help you live every day of your life as a thriving entrepreneur. Until next time, I truly hope that you find power in your purpose and have a great week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. 
It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today.